Welcome to Prio's Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trickhauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually, that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Drones seem to be everywhere in the news, but what do they actually mean for civilians in everyday life? And how do the military and police use and relate to them, both as tools and as threats? Most importantly, what can they tell us about a wider security context? Today, I'm speaking with Bruno Oliveira Martins and Andrea Silkeset. Together with their co-author Arthur Hall and Michelle, they launched a report in February titled Countering the Drone Threat, Implications of CUAS Technology for Norway in an EU and NATO Context. But their work on drones and security has continued since then, and Bruno just received funding for a three-year project titled Regulaire, the Integration of Drones in the Norwegian and European Airspaces, in which they will work with colleagues in academia in Canada and the U.S., but also many stakeholders in Norway, such as the Oslo Police, the Civil Aviation Authority, UAS Norway, and Avinor. I challenged them in this episode to also discuss how coronavirus has affected civilians' lives from a security context, a surveillance context, and a technology context. Welcome, Andrea and Bruno. We've uh, had a few conversations about drones before, and you've written several blog posts about it over the last couple of years. And I interviewed you uh, once before, before we had a podcast uh, in the pre-podcast interview blog series. But now we're finally getting to talk on the podcast about drones, but also more generally about surveillance and uh, the implications of these new technologies. So, Bruno, I want to start with a question to you. Um, in February of this year, you guys launched the report Counter Drone Systems, Implications for Norway in an EU and NATO Context. So can you maybe tell a little bit about that report and what the implications were and what the recommendations are that you gave and maybe some of the ripple effects of that report? Uh, sure. So the idea for that project started with... Uh us realizing that there is a big uh, vulnerability in our uh, societies that are getting increasingly uh, smarter in scare quotes. Um, And it is related to the fact that the more drones uh, proliferate in the civilian airspace, the more uh, security and safety issues um, they trigger. Um, and given that uh, drone technology is much more advanced than counter drone technology, this creates uh, safety and security problems. Um, so uh, during 2019, we had the opportunity of uh, talking with uh, dozens of uh, regulators, stakeholders, technology developers, etc., uh, mostly in Norway, but also in other places in, in Europe, in Brussels, in the US, etc. And we partnered up with a, a leading expert on the topic, Arthur Holland Michel. And indeed, we produced a report that looked at the situation in Norway, but, you know, departing from Norway to say broader, uh, broader things. So we looked into the different types of counter drone technology. So, and this is technology that exists both to locate drones 
and to do something about it to mitigate the drone. Uh, so we looked into the different kinds of technology for these two different uh, um, functions. We looked into the the regulation that exists today that deals with precisely the use of force in, in cases like this. Um, and we found out that uh, counter drone technology is often not fully effective. Uh, and the ones that want to use it, they still face uh, a lot of hurdles when it comes to legality, coordination, planning, uh, and safety. And this is related with, you know, a broader issue that has to that deals with uh, uh, the integration of technology in society. That is the the law lag. That means that that the, that the technological state of the art is always more advanced than the regulations and the laws that uh, enable that technology to be used in society. And precisely this, this uh, law lack uh, creates, uh, you know, a lot of uh, opportunities for uh, different actors to participate in the regulatory processes. Uh, but it also, you know, precisely in this area in which... Uh, uh, regulation and law is not still able to to deal with the technology more properly. There are some some safety and security issues that may arise, um, and we also realize that uh, malicious drone use is a significant security challenge for these reasons. But at the same time, uh, we if we put too much emphasis on this, there are also uh, unintended effects of this securitization of the airspace. Uh, mm. it's, it's very important, you know, not to securitize too much uh, um, the airspace and kind of an, and the civilian sphere. Um, the, there are, you know, all sorts of issues that, that, that come with it, that are, there are societal um, impacts of the counter-drone technology itself, for example, raising uh, threat perception, you know, uh, creating uh, psychological stress uh, in the society, etc. So this is, this is a, a, a complex issue that uh, a lot of law enforcement agencies are looking into at the moment, but there is a general sense, not only in Norway, but in Europe, uh, that, that, that there is a lot that needs to be done about this. And so when you mentioned this law lag, um, I'm wondering, can you just give a few more examples? Because this, this sounds very concerning uh, that countries are not able to, to react fast enough. What other areas uh, are there, or if, if there are any that come to mind, uh, where this is also a problem? Well, the most obvious example, I think, these days would be uh, facial recognition technology uh, that has been used, uh, you know, in many different contexts uh, by law enforcement agencies, private security companies, etc., um, in a regulatory framework that is mostly absent. Uh, so there is really, you know, facial recognition technology is a technology that's mostly unregulated. And so uh, its use uh, has, you know, triggered a lot of very problematic uh, uh, situations. And this is this is a very good example. 
but many other, uh, you know, other areas that deal with uh, artificial intelligence uh, are also in this area where there is not uh, enough regulation. And of course, this is something that that uh, opens up for a lot of uh, misuses, uh, and uh, and this raises problems. At the same time, it's also important to 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 realize that a lot of uh, you know a lot of technological advancements require this kind of experimentation. So it's not that when when a new technology uh, emerges, it is already you know uh, fully functional and and you know with 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 smooth characteristics and w- without any problems. But of course, when these uh, technologies today are so invasive and they are you know capable of producing uh, you know such implications then of course the problems become much bigger hmm. so andrea i wanted to ask you what kind of reaction in norway uh, did the report get uh, from the authorities for example the the police or the military maybe you can't say too much but um were they surprised by your findings uh, i assume that they were interested what kind of conversations were you having um, absolutely. They uh, were uh, interested. And I think overall, the report was uh, very well received, uh, both before its release with the actors that we were uh, interviewing and having conversations with throughout the project, and also with uh, um, actors beyond those we interviewed after the release of the report. Um, and the feedback that uh, that we got kept on uh, touching upon that uh, whilst different actors had uh, um, one type of perspective on the issue or uh, a glimpse into the issue, um, the report was able to take a few steps back and look at the broader picture and the coordination between these different stakeholders, thereby uh, perhaps pointing at angles that they had not thought of beforehand. And we've also received feedback that it was... Uh, um, a facilitator for enhanced cooperation between some of the agencies that uh, were involved or interviewed for the report. So I'm wondering, because I know, of course, you were focusing on the authorities, but why, what do you think the kind of general public's understanding of these kind of technologies is, whether that's uh, drones or, or facial recognition, like Bruno was mentioning, but... Um, there is definitely kind of a hype around this type of technology. Was that something that that you uh, encountered at all when you were when you were doing this research? So uh, our interviews were uh, more so with uh, stakeholders like the armed forces, the different sec- uh, sections of the police, um, and uh, air navigation authorities more than the general public. But I would say that. Uh, um, the, the use of the word hype is definitely fitting. Um, there is uh, perhaps either a lot of enthusiasm amongst uh, drone uh, drone users um, that uh, use drones for recreational uh, activities that uh, are very engaged in the technology itself. And then on the other hand, you have... Uh, drones and the way that uh, they are portrayed in uh, popular media like film or series which uh, is often um, um, in these uh, 
thriller or drama settings where automated swarm drones are uh, attacking the <laughs> president. Uh, uh, I'm thinking, what's the name of that film? Um, Angel Has Fallen or something. And then there's a Black Mirror episode yes, that yeah. uh, visualizes these, type, these types of scenarios. Um, and while that technology might uh, um, not be too far away, I think a more realistic perception of the threat would have to do with... Um, surveillance or just uh, uh, security risks in terms of a, a crowded airspace and just returning to what Bruno was saying in, when we uh, started this podcast, there has to be a balance with uh, the accepted risk in a society and what measures we take uh, to protect against that risk and uh, what, what type of society we end up with afterwards. Um, counter drone technology can be quite invasive on general public uh, public life. These are, in part at least, surveillance systems in their own rights. Mm. So uh, um, definitely a balance needed there. Yeah, and if I may just add something about the issue of the hype, that is certainly the case. I think that the the, the hype around new technologies again is like. It's a broader phenomenon. It's a broader trend. That's the case of counter drone technology illustrates uh, quite aptly, and it also shows the implications that this hype may have. Because um, uh, when technology uh, manufacturers portray uh, this technology, uh, they, you know, on the one hand, they they clearly. Um, overestimates its capacity capacity to deliver in non-controlled um, contexts. In other words, its capacity to be efficient in real life situations. Um, and so there is that side of the problem. The other side of the problem is precisely to to uh, overemphasize the possibility of threats. Uh, I think that uh, in law enforcement agents and uh, people in the secret services and people in the military are certainly very aware of the theoretical possibility of uh, attract attacks uh, using drones, um, and obviously we we have seen incidents, you know, either malicious or just uh, uh, careless. Uh, uh, uses of drones in the vicinity, vicinity of airports. And of course, this has a lot of implications. Um, but the majority of the, of, 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 of the threats that exist out there are of a different nature, are of a less sophisticated nature, if, if we want to put it like that. So uh, there is the risk that, you know, if, if we, Put too many resources and 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 uh, you know too much focus on this kind of really cutting edge technological uh, criminal activity. We neglect other areas that are actually much more relevant. And so then this is this is a typical situation in which uh, a hype around the technology may lead to you know for a focus to be on you know, a place different where that focus should probably be. And of course, this is, this is a very difficult balance to, to strike, but, um, but it's, it's really worth uh, considering. 
Yeah, and you guys co-wrote uh, also together with Chantal Lavallee the blog post recently, well, this year, uh, Drones in Times of Pandemic Caution Behind the Hype. And you you specifically were talking about the, the coronavirus pandemic because there was an example, or there have been a couple of examples, but there was one example I was thinking of with uh, Madrid that drones were being equipped with speakers and warning people to go back to their houses, not to break curfew, and so on. And in your conclusion, you ask how the public will react. Are they going, is this going to trigger a social acceptance of the technology because we're in an exceptional time and this is the rally around the tech effect? Or is this going to be seen as a invasive and even abuse of technology monitoring our lives? And just this week, the New York Times uh, also wrote about this uh, with drones and artificial intelligence being combined because uh, they profiled a police department that was using drones with artificial intelligence that they say could collect and store more video of life in the city, which could remove any expectation of privacy once you leave the home. Um, so I'm wondering, Bruno, what are your thoughts on that? Is this a reality we're going to be facing soon around the world? Is this going to become the norm? Um, so I can perhaps divide the answer in, in two. Um, and where it, uh, I can talk a little bit about these uh, massive uh, surveillance systems that are uh, already being used uh, in the U.S., and it's also important to, you know, before I, I say too much about that, that we often talk about um, and we raise these uh, discussion points about the realities that we know best. And these realities are typically, you know, either in, in Europe or in North America. And so uh, we don't really, you know, in, in many cases, we don't really know to the same extent, what kind of technologies and systems are deployed elsewhere. So sometimes it, it may feel that we put too much criticism on Western societies, but it, it might be that that is just the reality that we have more information about. And it's, it's important to, to mention this. But indeed, there are um, uh, massive uh, surveillance uh, technologies uh, deployed by U.S. law enforcement agencies. Um, and we, we've seen uh, in the, uh, in, back in May and in June at the highest points of the Black Life, uh, Lives Matters, uh, Matter protests uh, in the U.S., that in several cities you really had um, this uh, drone-based uh, surveillance system that was collecting uh, information about and collecting, you know, really wide images uh, that were able to, with very high precision, identify everyone that was at the protests, for example. And this is a, this is certainly very problematic, and I think that it relates to, to the broader issue of uh, the the import of you know, technology that used to be in the military into the civilian sphere. Uh, and, and drones are a very good example of that, where, you know, the kind of, the kind of images, the kind of, um, uh, of portrayals that uh, drones provide, they used to be, you know, of enemy combatants. And that is mm. something that is, that is, it's, it's very clear. Um, and, it is precisely these kind of images that that today are being generated about 
you know, just people walking in the streets or participating in a protest, which is something that in a democratic content, context should absolutely not be a problem. So, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a wider societal trend that has really been there for a long time. But of course, the more these surveillance technologies evolve, the bigger the problems they raise. Yeah, definitely. And uh, slightly scary, <laughs> a little concerning. Um, Andrea, what are your thoughts on this topic, especially having liaised quite a lot with this with the relevant stakeholders? So I think uh, it depends a bit on uh, which uh, stakeholder you're thinking of. So with uh, perhaps the um, the actors that are responsible for the running or protecting of uh, objects or uh, a part of society, so either the uh, law enforcement or um, um, authorities that deal with the running of uh, airports or safety in airspace are probably concerned that the um, technology and uh, um, frameworks and guidelines that allow them to use this aren't in place so that uh, they are only waiting for a big accident or something to happen and then uh, later on, they will be criticized for not having done more. So they would probably want more of a conversation and more political will to move forward with this issue because they are looking specifically at uh, at risk and the risks are very real and existing. Some an, an accident could could happen at any point. Whilst on the uh, other hand. Um, stakeholders that uh, deal more with uh, uh, usage of drone technology itself, I would assume see mainly benefits of what this technology can do entering uh, situations that are either difficult to access uh, or dangerous to access and uh, reducing costs and risk to actual personnel that would have to carry out these tasks. Um, so there's a bit of a conflict, perhaps, in terms of the interest of these different uh, these different actors and the perspectives that they see. Um, whilst, on the other hand, when uh, when we take a few steps back and look at uh, the overall implications for the the society that we we all live in, uh, I think the developments uh, are. Uh, concerning if uh, if a debate isn't being held at the right time um if there if there were to be a big uh, big accident or or incident that would probably uh catalyze um large scale action on drone uh, or counter drone technology regulation and strategies at which the overall societal impacts long term might not be given the uh, the amount and the level of thought uh, and reflections that they should. Yeah. Does that sort of answer your question? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And precisely because of this, I think it's also important that uh, to to realize that when we have this law lag, it is an opportunity 
for new regulation per definition, right? And this also creates precisely the opportunity for uh, all the participants or all the end users, but also the ones that will be affected by that technology to participate in the regulatory aspect. And that's why I think it's so important that... um, that the regulatory authorities uh, become aware that uh, these technologies, they really have wider societal implications, that they really have uh, um, a potential for impacting uh, basically everyone. And therefore, it's really crucial to have, you know, uh, civil society organizations participating in these debates, participating in the discussions and having their concerns uh, heard. Um, Because what typically happens when it comes to the regulation of technology is that uh, the technology developers um, are called in um, other actors, other stakeholders are also called in, but uh, it's much more, it's much less common that you know civil society organizations participate in these discussions, and that we find is extremely important. And uh, can I uh, also just uh, add that uh, when we were speaking about uh, uh, usage of drone technology uh, during the pandemic or in general? It's not just uh, surveillance or monitoring of citizens that this technology is being applied to. It's it's much uh, wider than that and kind of echoing the hype that we spoke about uh, earlier. Um, in a sense, this uh, new drone technology, which is probably also um, being paralleled with other relatively recent technologies, is being applied as um, a solution to, to a range of different problems. Uh, during the pandemic, we've seen um, drones being applied also to disinfect large surf, uh, surfaces, to carry different types of uh, deliveries, uh, to scan the temperature of the population. So it's, uh, it's a wider issue than, uh, than just... Uh, monitoring of uh, uh of civilians mm-hmm. and i mean it, obviously none of those things are inherently bad but uh without regulation it, it could certainly be concerning and that actually leads me to a quick question for you bruno because you have a new project or relatively new called um, states of emergency as disruptive pandemic politics and it's quite a short project but you got this funding very quickly during during the pandemic to to look at this topic and so I was wondering if we can zoom out a little bit and um, maybe you can tie these things together for us sure I think that um, immediately when the reality of the pandemic uh, started to sink in um, and we saw this widespread uh, declarations of uh, states of emergency um, we we got the notion that this would create opportunities for uh, several uh, problematic practices to happen and uh, at PRIU and in particular at our PRIU's uh, security research group we have a particular interest on security technologies on how security practices are mediated through technology and the implications that they have and it became very clear very early that uh, you know the pandemic would would 
you know, generate precisely this kind of dynamics. Um, and we've seen a lot of, <clears throat> so the issues related to, to, to drones are just part of the, of the bigger picture. Uh, but in the case of drones, for example, we, we clearly saw, for example, the acceleration of regulatory processes, where the processes by which uh, the integration of drones in civilian airspace uh, happened uh, became accelerated. And, and, you know, in order precisely to facilitate the use of drones during the pandemic for those different uh, technological fixes that uh, Andrea mentioned. But of course, we also had all the all the debates surrounding the the self tracking apps on the cell phones. In Norway, for example, we had <clears throat> you know all sorts of discussion about the Smith stop and the process that you know through which the government selected that company to provide the solution and how you know the problems associated with it and and the lack of efficiency of of the of the app in itself but most importantly i think that uh, that is yet another example of of how this you know this hype and this idea of techno solutionism where you know where uh, technology is always thought of as being you know the the one carrying the solution for whatever the problem um really shifts away the focus on you know away from where it should be you know there are much more efficient ways of of uh, fighting the pandemic than using a self tracking app but we saw that you know, because of all this, the securitization of the disease and all the issues that that uh, existed surrounding it, we saw that, you know, in in an initial phase, the the public was very much willing to to download the app, um, and then with time, uh, this uh, enthusiasm kind of faded away and really showed that, you know, perhaps. The solution to to very complex problems does not really lie on on an app or on on a simple technological fix. It's just much more complex than that. Well, thank you both so much. And uh, we've unfortunately run out of time, but I really appreciate you guys talking about this and especially uh, kind of expanding our awareness of. Uh, not just drones, but all types of uh, surveillance and and the uses, perhaps for good and also not so not so good. And I look forward to seeing the rest of the research that you come out with, Bruno. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit Prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trighauger. Music by Martin Rennemol. We'll be off for the holidays for the next three weeks, but we'll repost three of our most popular episodes of the year for your listening pleasure. Thanks for tuning in this year, our first year of podcasting at Prio. We're excited to see what 2021 holds. Happy holidays.